Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. These are where the opportunities come and, and the chances are for you to really catapult yourself into the next level. And so it's really kind of having insight, confidence, clarity, being prepared for the opportunity. I think those are the things that the listeners, at least listening right now, should be thinking about. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I am your host, Joe Cornwell. Today, I am with Victor Lighty, and he is a multifamily investor He was previously in medicine. He's been on the show before, about three years ago, from my understanding. So, Victor, welcome. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it, man. I'm blessed and thankful to be here with you guys again. Thank you for joining us. And why don't you take us through the last three, four years since you've been on the show, and how has your business changed? What are you focused on now? Gus, well, look, if you guys want to hear the beginning of my stories and where I got started, listen back. I'm episode 2096. So it can kind of give you my humble beginnings and where I got started, but really... It all started with one little property. And that one little property is kind of catapulted us now to where we are now at 258 Capital. So we're a private investment group. We're comprised of smart, educated business professionals that are committed to elevating each other. So we're here. We've really been focused on enriching each other's lives, focusing on the financial freedom lifestyle. And we did that through real estate. And since we began to now, we've kind of catapulted ourselves from single family into multifamily, flex industrial, retail. We're doing a little bit of development, and we've partnered with both seasoned investors and beginners, where we provide our expertise, our teams, our education, our guidance, and help the investments and the route for everybody's time freedom and wealth creation. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about your company, 25.8. What is it? How does it work? What do you do in the business? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so we're a private investment group. So we focus on creating opportunities for everybody. I am general partner and the operator itself. And we've done joint ventures, we've done syndications, and we've offered the true benefits of real estate ownership. Without that hassle of the tenants and termites and toilets, like everybody says. So we really focus trying to make real estate investing easy and seamless. So we guide the process all the way through, because we all know, right? We want the future goals of retirement and that financial freedom and what we call that sunsets and palm trees lifestyle. So we believe that our investments have to work harder around the clock for us. And that's where we came with 
the idea of 25-8 capital, that us busy professionals throughout there, we just don't have time for that because we have mountains of paperwork, kids, busy schedules, shopping, cooking, getting dinner on the table. Time wasn't just enough. And so everybody says that they're trying 24-7, but we envisioned us working harder and finding avenues of investment. And we set the standard at 25 hours a day, eight days a week. <laughs> oh, that's a cool concept. It makes sense to me. So it sounds like you raise money with passive investors, partner with other investors and allow their capital to work 25, eight, so to speak. I like it. So what were you doing 2019, 2020 from an investment standpoint, and what has changed in your focus over the last few years? So over the last few years, we've had a market run over the last five or seven years, which was pretty nice market and also a tough market to run with. So since our beginning phases, when we started off with a small multifamily operation investment, we've kind of catapulted ourselves into a larger asset classes. We pushed ourselves into a different stratosphere by not going just on market, but we've also gone off market at multifamily opportunities. And so we've jumped into the multifamily space, closed on about 50 million over last year. We've kind of diversified along with my partners into some industrial, some retail. And like I said, we're moving into that development space a little bit now, but we're really our bread and butter is that value add multifamily. So you focus on value add. Tell me a little bit about how you're finding those types of deals today and what types of value add deals are you looking for in today's market? So today's market's a little murky waters. Not a lot of deals are coming to the market because there's a wide gap between sellers and buyers right now, no matter what market you're in. So we've really pivoted our energy and our focus towards focusing on off-market direct-to-seller. That's a model of investment, a model of deal acquisition that's worked for us in the past. We've done it various times. And obviously, it's great. And we see the importance of working with our brokers and looking at their deals and giving them feedback. But right now, we're really trying to find ways of making the numbers pencil in. And sometimes that's going directly with the ownership and discussing ways of making an opportunity work. So we really look for those 150 units or less, either owner-operated, owner-managed, or out-of-state ownership that really didn't put the energy, effort, and touches into their properties anymore. And now that our market everywhere has been shifting, the true value-add investors like us we're really looking at options of adding value and benefit to these deals that have really been missed just because people were riding that wave for the last few years. Okay. So give me some examples. Are you looking for deferred maintenance, high vacancy, things that need just cosmetic updates, full guts? What types of value add specifically are you guys looking for? Joe, we're looking at everything. So obviously we look at the physical aspect of the properties, whether we're physically going in there and upgrading the units. We've done heavy value add where we're adding walls back in, we're adding plumbing, we're doing electricals, and we do cosmetics. We change and rebrand the property. We focus on turning over maybe the community. Some of these properties that we've been into are bad. Maybe let's call it drug infested, crime infested, hey, even roach infested. And we come over and we change the flavor and the vibe and the feel of that community. And then we also look at the operations. Right now, we're seeing that there's a lot of deficiencies in the operation side of things where people are just really not managing the property well. They're really not on top of their management teams. They're really not focusing on that hospitality, that tenant experience. They're really not trying to find solutions for certain problems. Right now, for example, having tenants qualify for your property, income standards and qualification standards have changed recently. Rents have risen higher than what people's medium income is. So we're looking at finding ways to make that work and working with programs like the guarantors just to help folks 
finding rental assistance, deposit assistance, all of that, just to make sure that we get everybody through our door. What types of markets are you looking? You don't have to give necessarily like a metro specifically, but geographically, what areas are you looking just in the U.S., outside of the U.S., and what areas? So our bread and butter, we focus on that secondary and tertiary markets. We really focus on in places where we have a nice medium-sized household income. We have some strong industries. We have good migration patterns. We really not try to follow the wave of the top tens. We don't follow that wave. We really try to find value in certain markets. And we usually say we're within the mid-Atlantic region right now. We do invest in the southern regions, but really mid-Atlantic region, we see there's great opportunity. Because real estate's street by street, block by block. So we've identified that. And we're really looking at things and at locations that I would say most of the larger groups are not really sniffing at right now. Okay. That makes complete sense. It's hard to compete when there's 30 offers on particular properties. So yeah, I mean, unless you have a relationship where you're going to be one of only a couple of groups looking at something, it's tough to make deals work when they're getting bid up like that. So tell me a little bit more about the structure of your company. I know you said you still obviously own it, you operate it. What does your team look like and how are you guys managing this portfolio? So our roles and my role and the structure of our team has changed and evolved over time. Initially, just like all of us, I wore 10,000 hats at once and I started realizing that juggling those hats didn't really serve myself or serve our partners well. So we've brought in asset management specialists and we've brought in acquisition specialists to really take that focus-driven direction for us. Obviously, we still use third property management, but we've had to make some changes and turnovers. And originally, we thought, let's bring in the class A management companies for our C-class properties. Well, that was a change that we had to learn through time because with the heavy value add stuff that we've done, with the turnover that we've done, we really needed to have the teams that fit our standard and our role and our vision for our investments. So we've made those changes through time and trying to find the right pieces in the right place just so that we're all going to the same direction of stabilizing these properties. Yeah, that's a good point. I talked to a lot of investors of various experience levels and the common theme I see across the board with almost all things in business or real estate is that you have to match expectations. So like you mentioned, having that top company maybe in the market, the class A management company to run a C or D type of asset may not make sense because their expectations and your expectations are never gonna be aligned because that's not in their wheelhouse of expertise. And obviously, as we all know, managing an A or B class asset versus managing a C or D class asset are completely different worlds. Everything about it from the top to bottom is going to be a different experience for the owner, the manager, and the tenant. And that's just part of the game is aligning all of those things, as you mentioned. So with that in mind, I know you mentioned a lot of different types of deals that you are reviewing. Is there anything specifically that you are most interested in today? In the market we're in, given all the factors that we're dealing with, what types of deals specifically are you going after? Right now, we understand the current state. We understand the current difficulty in the debt market right now. We understand the billions of dollars of adjustable rate and CMBS loans are about to come to reality over the next three to five years. So we're really focused on coming in and identifying these deals that closed between 2019 and 2022, right before that bomb hit mid-22 of the Fed rate hikes. And we're really trying to identify whether or not there is any room for us to come in and add value or come in as a partner to really 
add a little bit more steam, add a little bit more fire into these deals. A lot of the deals, like you said, 30 offers in a deal, you're going to highest and best multiple rounds, hard money. I think those days are not going to be here in the short term. Now, in the long term, things will probably recover just fine. But in the short term, I think that we all have to find interesting ways. So we're looking at off-market deals, reaching out and connecting with larger groups from some of the larger funds and REITs. We're connecting with some of the local groups within the region of Mid-Atlantic, kind of discussing where their plan and where their exit strategy is and whether or not we can come in and find ways to maybe piggyback off of what they started, maybe complete their business plan because they're out of money, maybe get new, fresh debt since we're having a little bit of a forgiving 10-year treasury of lately. We're trying to find those different ways and also come in, not just a general partner, but maybe have them come back in and piggyback as an LP partner and make sure that the capital stack is not as heavy for us to come in with and create a long-lasting partnership for everybody to win. So that's the kind of deals that we're kind of generally looking at. We find unique ways of making the numbers work because like I said, there's a strong divide right now. Sellers and buyers, and I get it, I get it. We're working off of past data, but we all know that the fresh data over the next six to 12 months is going to make some shifts in the valuations of things. And real estate is real estate. So you just have to ride these waves and it'll be perfectly fine. We're really trying to look at a 10-year, 20-year buy and hold focus. We're not trying to flip deals. We're trying to really look at what is the longstanding validity of this property? Where are we going to go with it? How are we going to hold it? And we're just buying holders. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. And I share that. Fundamentally, I look at every deal is, do I want to have this property in 50 years? Now, of course, things change. The whole point of a plan is to see how quickly it changes. But I look at it like, okay, is this a neighborhood that I believe in? Is this a type of asset I believe in? And I look at the really long-term view. So it's interesting to hear you say that because I feel like we're probably in the minority in that philosophy. A lot of people do five to seven, three shorter-term holds. It's more common in the mid-sized to large multifamily. You're right. I agree that Some of us are not thinking the same ways, but it's because you have to adjust your expectations and you have to really have to have a standard to invest in. And wealth is not created overnight. It's not a quick return kind of investment model like it has been. We really look at this as more of a longer term focus, longer term plan, longer term wealth creation for everybody. And everybody knows you always lose on the sale. And so we're always trying to find unique ways of making sure that everybody wins in this. So that's why our standard, our focus, our criteria are that way. And maybe that's why we lost on the the hundreds of deals because everybody was coming in with aggressive underwriting, aggressive, where it doesn't even make sense. And right now, there's going to be a lot of wake-up calls. If not already, it's coming already. And we're seeing that. So I want to touch on your off-market approach. I know you said that's heavy focus for you now is looking for these off-market deals. Let's talk a little bit about how are you finding them? What is your strategy to connect with these potential off-market So the general idea on the off-market, obviously, is to get in touch with the decision makers. In the single-family space, we've done this numerous of times, and we've also done it in the commercial space, but it's a little bit more challenging. We have to come at it from a different angle. We have to come at it from an angle of, we're also investors. We understand. We're not trying to steal a deal from them. We're really trying to find either an approach in which they can accept a collaboration a partnership, a joint venture. So we're really looking at these deals from that standpoint. Finding information of everybody, information is free and it's out there. So our teams really focus on the same model as the skip tracing model and finding the entities in which they're in, whether they're in the state or out of state, 
And we're able to scrub those models down so that we can find the registered agent or the actual partner or the actual group in which they hold that property in. And then we focus on touching, touching them in different ways with calls, text messages, emails, their social, any different way that we can really reach out to them and say, hey, we're here, we're interested, let's have a conversation. We're not here to fight you, we're here to collaborate with you. So we're having those conversations. And right now what we're seeing a lot of is a lot of more discussions of seller financing, trying to keep the debt structure to which the seller can still win in different ways. So we're having a lot of these conversations of that, some assumable loan potential opportunities, but it's really kind of having that conversation of how do we all exit this together? Or if you don't want to exit, how do we keep you in this opportunity and deal, but really not bankrupt or give the property back to the bank? Okay. That makes sense. And give me an example. Let's use me. You want to buy one of my properties. You skip trace me, you get my number, whatever, email, and go from that till you buy the deal from me. What does that normally look like on your end? And how are you going about all those phases? No, I've done this numerous times. And we just actually completed a beautiful 65 unit deal, a couple of blocks from the oceanfront in Virginia Beach, Virginia, where we're housed. And, and similarly to that, it's just getting on the phone or getting in a meeting face-to-face wherever you are and having that discussion like, Hey, Joe, what is your exit for this property? I see that obviously your note's coming due in mid-24 and you have no caps on a no cap structure. That cap's going to expire as well. Are you going to try to buy another rate cap to try to ride a wave of the market? Or are you looking to liquidate this property? Or are you trying to get into a longer-term debt? Just figuring out what the exit is. Have you completed your business plan or you have more to do? Did your construction loan or your construction draws get halted because you have to keep the note paid? Are you having difficulty with the current lenders that you're with right now? Are they sweeping your escrow accounts and not letting you really execute your business plan? So we can go through that structure of talking like, what's your plan? And if your plan is to really ride out the wave, then keep us in mind. If it gets to the point where you guys are going to hit that red button, we're here to collaborate and talk about the opportunity that you have and see whether we can make something work out that will be beneficial for both teams. Yeah, that's great. It makes sense to me. You know, hearing that, it's like if I'm up against a potential repo with the bank, if I'm having financial difficulties personally or within that asset or business, or as you mentioned, it could be as simple as I got a rate cap that's coming up for renewal, and that could be a huge chunk of change that I could avoid potentially paying if I'm able to sell it for maybe a little profit or get out from under whatever the deal may be. Are you seeing in these cases that they are taking some sort of loss? If they are, is it a big loss, small loss, break even? What are you seeing from the seller side? That's a great question. We just had a meeting about that yesterday. We had a couple calls with sellers. And it, what we're seeing is that it's deal by deal. So everybody has a different outcome, different plan. We've dealt with sellers who bought the property well and held it for, let's call it 10 plus years, and their notes are coming due now. So they're like, look, we had a great run. We made great capital. Our equity has been built. We're okay with selling it at whatever cap rate the market is indicating over the next six months going forth on the four caps. And those are good folks to have conversations with because they get it. They understand that the different environment now makes it more difficult to get debt on these properties. And there's no more speculation that the market is going to rise at the rate that has been rising over the last five, seven years. And then we're dealing with some other groups that are really thinking we need to make a return and we have a business plan and we haven't achieved it. And we're going to ride this one out and see what happens. And they're going to put not only their investors' money at risk, but they're also going to put themselves at risk 
of never being able to do this again because they're not adjusting to the environment. They were able to sit in, in their offices trading cards. That's what they say that they're doing because they were buying properties left and right with uh, ridiculous projections. And now that that slowed down, now they come back to reality saying that your property is not going to be worth this going into the next six months where the new numbers come out. And when we try to bring this to the bank and it won't really hit that DSCR and that structure that we're looking for. So would you rather wait until the pain comes or would you rather be proactive and let's figure out solutions? There might be solutions. There's so many options and ways to carve out deals right now. You just have to be smart. You have to be willing to be flexible. And you have to know that real estate's a long-term game for us. It's not a short-term. We think in a forward-thinking way that deal by deal, we're focusing on progress, not perfection. You made a good point there. So let me ask you your opinion on this. Is the biggest risk of an operator, let's say somebody who does syndications, is their biggest risk losing money on a deal or is it losing their reputation and trust with their investors? And then I have a follow-up to that. So answer that one first and then we'll go to the second part. Look, if it's me, it's my reputation, my trust with all of my partners. That's worth more to me than any capital I have in my bank accounts because I think that is where your true values and ethics lie. Your role and your job, at least the way that I see it as an operator, is that my role and my job is to always preserve the capital from key beginnings. That's the key focus right there. So if you're not focusing on that capital preservation piece of it in your underwriting model, then you're just going to Vegas and gambling. And I'm not a gambler. And I think I really don't work with folks who really have that model. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital's never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital dot the bam companies.com that led me to some other follow-up questions but is it <laughs> is it a situation where there's an exit sweet spot so let's say you're a syndicator you're in a distressed situation is there a sweet spot where you can minimize the damage is it ego of some of these groups that are getting in the way of we are going to see this through whatever happens happens and having these conversations with some of these groups what is your opinion on the mindset of someone who maybe has a deal that is going bad and why they may not want to exit for one reason or another? I guess it just depends deal by deal. So if you're dealing with the smaller groups, then they're kind of saying, well, we're not well capitalized. We don't have reserves. We're bleeding out every month. We didn't get rate caps. And we're trying to do our best to push the turnover. We're trying to get our rents up, but it's just not going to the volume speed that it was before. So they're kind of in this mode of distress where they really don't know what they're going to do. But if you're dealing with the larger groups who are well capitalized or have 10, 15 deals on deck, they're just looking at the cards and saying, well, we'll let these two foreclose and we'll keep these three. We don't care about those, but we're going to keep these three because location, or we can probably raise more capital pref equity and bring that in and salvage this one. But these, 
they weren't that great, so we're just going to let them go in foreclosure. No big deal. That's what I'm seeing right now, and that's what we're hearing on our regular conversations. And that's why I say it's deal by deal, team by team. It just depends who you're working with. And with that line of thought, one of my struggles when I first started learning about raising money and syndications and, and some of the different models that have existed over, let's say, the last 10 years, something I philosophically struggled with is the fact that a lot of these groups make the majority of their income on acquisition. Now, I understand, especially the larger firms, there's a lot of overhead, right? They have a lot of employees, they have teams, they have accountants, they have lawyers, they have staff. So I understand that they do have legitimate costs that they have to contend with. But when you're front-loading so much of the majority of your upside as an investor through acquisitions, that scares me as an investor if I were to invest with them as a limited partner because our goals are no longer aligned fully, maybe partially, but not fully. So what are your thoughts on that model in general and how it's going to look in the next five years considering we are now for the first time in the last 10 plus years in a down market? Yeah, you're right. You know, call it chasing fees. Everybody was chasing fees for a while to try to scale their business. I don't want to just say syndicates, but all the investors were just going in there to try to get some scalability because they were not investing in their own deals. And I truly think we're going to have to find a balance because there is a balance of running a group, a team, a company. Obviously, it takes overhead. And a lot of those upfront costs are a push towards that and trying to make sure that you have the business model structure the investor experience all laid out that way. So there is experience exposure to that. But I think that that's going to have to be looked at and underwritten in unique ways, whether you have models and metrics in which you must reach, whether there is the options of really not taking such a fee up front and work that through on the disposition side of things. There's different ways of modeling it out depending on the waterfall plan that you hit, whether or not that becomes better or not. I think we're going to see some differentiation in structuring of that in the short term. But I think as the market goes through its cycle, like any other cycle it's been, and we've worked with partners that have been investing since the 60s and 70s, they've already said these are just cycles that come and go. You just have to be able to adjust your model. And like we say, we stay true to our values of creating investment vehicles for our investors that they will be able to trust and rely on for years to come. So that's our general standards that the adjustments that we need to make, we'll make, we'll make it just to make sure that deals do work in pencil in. It's going to have to go that way. Yeah, it makes sense. And it sounds like to summarize what you're saying that shifting maybe fee structures to where limited partners are a little bit more protected throughout the transaction and on the disposition and where they're going to get that somewhat of an expected return prior to maybe the operators getting their full amount or, or whatever that setup may be. And then the last follow-up question I had to that was, with the current debt market we're in, how do you see that transforming over the next, let's call it six to 12 months? So let's focus on the short term. I mean, what are your expectations? What are you underwriting for? What do you think is going to happen? Well, that's the crystal ball question we all want to know, right? So we have a lot of meetings with our lending partners in our banks, and they give us a lot of insight into their viewpoint. And honestly, right now, the banks don't even know. They're telling us, we don't know. We're just trying to do our best to make sure that we can deal with this time that we're in. But they're pretty much saying that since we're getting a little bit of forgiveness on the 10-year treasury, we're going to get a little bit of a dip going into Q1, maybe Q2 of next year. And then it's going to start rising again. And that's where they're projecting where it's going to be. Where you're, saying a dip, you're saying a dip in rates? And Q1? In rates, yeah. yeah. In rates okay. to Q1 to Q2 to get us out of this. And this is what we're just saying on just projection, unless the government jumps in and creates 
another bailout of some type, just like they did on the FHA, 5% down payments. You know, they'll kind of create some things or they'll give incentives for affordable housing to get more affordable housing done. They'll do some things on tax incentive sides, but we're seeing a little bit of a potential dip coming in Q1, Q2, but that's just a projection. And then the four curves are saying that obviously interest rates will continue rising because this is where they should have been. They should have been here. We got bequeathed a magic of the best interest rates of probably your and my lifetime, right, Joe? I mean, there's no way we're going to see that ever again, probably ever. So with that being said, we're looking at that and we're looking at underwriting with a cap exit that's a little bit higher, six and a half to seven sometimes, just because we want to make sure that we're projecting for the right look at the deal. And that agency debt right now is some of the best that you can get. And it's hard to get debt with regional banks or with your other private lenders and things like that. And you see, you have to understand how the agency underwrites. Fannie and Freddie have specific requirements that you must meet. So we underwrite with that in mind. And we know that we have to stay patient and stick to our standards. Because if we really start pushing the dial too far, then we're really going to put ourselves at risk in the next 6 to 12 months. So that's what we generally focus on. I think we're probably going to get a little dip, probably based the way that we've seen the, those four curves in my conversations. But it's all a guess. The banks don't even know. I'm telling you this now. They tell me that. We don't know. I said, okay, well, you are my biggest partner and you don't know. So then we don't know either. So then they focus on make sure that they're working with the right team, with the right reputation, with the right rapport. They have the history and the track record. They have the reserves. They have the sponsorship caliber. And they're not going to be gone tomorrow. They have their pulse in their market, things like that. They just want reassurance. Yeah. Great points. I agree. I think anyone who says they know what's going to happen is obviously full of it, but <laughs> I think it's good to have educated guesses. And that's why I like to ask that question to a lot of our guests. I just get a wide variety of feedback on their thoughts because it seems like week to week, the economy's changing, the market's changing, but it sounds like you're saying we're kind of in our new normal, so to speak. It may fluctuate here and there, but nothing of any major, major consequence is going to change up or down in the short term, if I'm summarizing yeah. you correctly. Yeah, you're right. Look, more banks are going to fail. We're dealing with the bomb that we got hit when COVID came and all the bailouts and all these things came in. This is just facts. So the facts are we're starting to feel the pain now and it's affecting banking, the roller coaster of the stock market. I don't know anybody investing in the stock market right now that's happy. Everybody's lost a lot of money. I know you're not looking at it day by day, but it's like, whoa, the roller coaster of the stock market is crazy. And where else are you going to put your money where you can have some stability? In a savings account? Is that what you're going to do? No, that's not how wealth is created at all. You, know, you speak to the wealthy people and they're always looking at these times as like, whoa, this is buying season. It's coming. We're at the beach here. And so we're ready to jump in that big tsunami wave while everybody else is running for cover. Because these are where the opportunities come and, and the chances are for you to really catapult yourself into the next level. And so it's really kind of having insight, confidence, clarity, being prepared for the opportunity. I think those are the things that the listeners, at least listening right now, should be thinking about. If you're a beginning investor and this is way above your head, look, I've been there. Joe's been there. We've all been there. Just get yourself going. Connect, network, educate connect with partners that are still active because a lot of them are not anymore. I'm seeing that. And so it's just that focus mindset. Don't be afraid. Just be more focusing on sharpening your tools, the tools that you can use right now, which is really right now, there's a lot of it. But if the deals are not coming out plentiful like they used to, then right now you're just sharpening your tools, connecting, being vocal, educating. We do a lot of education with our investors so they know. 
that the benefits is not just in the cash flow. Everybody always talks about cash flow, cash flow, cash. No, look, you have so many other benefits here. There's a magic of your K1. It's like this magical thing that comes to you. So many beautiful benefits. And obviously we say keep your diversification mindset there, but also understand that these cycles come and go. But when you're prepared for the downturn of the cycle, which maybe we're seeing a little bit of dip right now is what they're saying. It'd be great because you can really find some good opportunities coming forth. And if you're collaborating, working with each other, being of value to each other, I think good market or bad market, there's deals to be had. My best advice to any new investor out there, or let's say somebody who's trying to scale into larger deals is two things. Don't be afraid to buy, buy right, set a criteria and stick with it. But a lot of uh, new investors I talk to, I'm an agent as well. I talk to a lot of new investors, first time investors, and their thought is, well, rates are 8% now. I'm going to wait for them to go back down. It's like, well, if rates do happen to go back down in any meaningful way in the next year or two, we're going to be right back to the competitive market we saw the last couple of years. So I don't think that that's a viable option is to wait for rates to come down for any level, whether you're buying retail, personal, single family, or you're buying hundreds of units. I think that that is true across the board of all asset types. And then the other piece is that, as you mentioned, educate yourself learn more, network, start building relationships. And if you really want to get into a big deal as a brand new investor or limited experience, go find a good deal. The things that you mentioned in the beginning where you were talking about cold calling, texting, anyone can do that. They can pull list, they can skip trace, they can reach out to sellers. And if they bring somebody like you or me a good legitimate deal, I don't know any operator that would not give them a piece of that just for bringing them a deal because that is the hardest thing to find right now in our market. Of course, Joe, you're right on point. That's where the new investors that we guide. I'm not a big believer of boots on the ground and driving for dollars, okay? I just don't do that. I rely on my network. And I say, one tip you can take from me right now that can get you out there and exposed to everybody and potentially have off-market deals sent to you today, right now, and nobody's doing it. Nobody's doing it. Everybody can do it, but nobody's doing it. You don't have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to set up the off-market campaigns that we have. There's one thing that somebody can do right now as a beginning investor. And that is get your phone, jump on your social, jump on your Facebook, and just scream it loud and proud on every platform that you have. Hey, everybody, my name is such and such. I am getting into real estate investment, and I want to look at opportunities. Anybody who's anybody has anything off market, anything in the single family, small multifamily. And I'm talking about small multifamily, under 50 right now. Most of this is all one single owner operator. That's just on their Facebook page as well. Scream out loud and say, hey, come to me. I have partners. I have operators and folks who know how to get these deals done. And that's one thing that everybody can do today. And that's one thing that a lot of people just don't do because they're shy. They have limiting beliefs. They don't think they have enough experience. They don't have any money. And that's what I say to everybody. Just be of value. We sourced off-market deals not because we wished and wanted it, because we're out there finding a different angle at it. Because if you try to just watch and wait and see what happens, you're just going to be late to the party. Beautiful advice. Let's transition to <laughs> the world famous lightning round. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. I love it. Let's go. All right. Best ever book recommendation. All right. So I get this a lot, but then I always just say, it can't just be real estate. So we're big on mindset, right? Mindset is one of our biggest things. Health, wealth, creation, family, spirituality. So I usually say, one of the books that I recommend everybody read is a book by Dr. Joe Dispenza called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Pick that one up. I listen to a lot of books. I run every day and listen to a lot of books. It really breaks down 
the mind and body and the pathophysiology behind that and how that can affect your actions, your habits, your daily thoughts, which are going to limit you from taking action. Pick that one up. I think that was a great book for me in regards to my beginnings and really get me to focus that I can do it. And if anybody can, you can do it too. And then if we're talking real estate, I picked up this one little cliff note book from Rod Beersley called Structuring and Raising Debt and Equity for Real Estate. I think Rob did a good job on that one in really breaking down the structures of how he's done deals, raising money, how to do it legally, equity and how that works and how to really make sure that you understand various complicated models in a digestible form. So I like those two books for everybody to get into if they really want to get into that mindset space and maybe understand a little bit more of this commercial space. Best every way you like to give back. I've practiced medicine for the last 14 years. I'm not full-time anymore practicing medicine, but I still give back to my community. I give back to underserved clinics, and I do a lot of mentoring. We do a lot of mentoring with some of the youth groups, some of the groups in that area in which we try to give them that financial literacy guidance that a lot of people don't get in formal education. So we're always talking about not just focusing on money, but really how do you build your future roadmap for wealth creation? It doesn't happen overnight, and you don't have to be born into it. So we really give back by giving private masterminds and private group sessions in which we talk about these and keeping it kind of an open space discussion for everybody to join in and not feel like they're not a part of the group. Give me a mistake from one of your investments and a lesson learned from it. Many, many, many mistakes, guys. The mistakes are the experiences in which we become better from. So one of the mistakes that I really began in the beginning was not bringing in my partners sooner, really trying to do everything all by myself, looking for deals, finding deals, dealing with the banks, dealing as asset management, dealing with renovations, dealing with construction, dealing with disposition, dealing with sellers, dealing with buyers. I remember this being endless nights. I was still practicing medicine, working 60-hour-plus work weeks, and then running the business nights and weekends. So the biggest mistake early on was not really trying to focus on collaborating. I call it collaborating so that everybody knows it's enriching everybody's focus mind. So when we started really finding the superstars in which to bring to our team, that really catapulted us into that next ladder steps. So that was it. Reach out and connect with your local network partners, people like Joe, you know know what they're doing or within the network and just try to collab just be a value connect tell them your story i think that was one of the biggest mistakes up front i was just quiet and behind the scenes yeah very common mistake i've heard and great advice what is the best way for our audience to connect with you and learn more about what you guys are up to we're everywhere so you can really find us at www.258cap.com We offer all of our educational guidances, our tools, access to our masterminds and our groups. That's really where you can see about me and our story. But we're all over the place. You can connect with us on social, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn at 258cap. This is where you see the day-to-day. This is where you see our personalities, the behind the scenes, some of the really fun stuff and fun part about real estate. Because if you don't enjoy what you're doing, man, then why are you doing it at all? So we get to really dive into our lifestyle. And it's not just about real estate. It's about everything that we do. Mindset, health, wealth, family, events. We really put it out there for everybody to get a good feel for us. Awesome. We will be sure to link to those website and your socials as well in the show notes. Victor, thank you so much for joining us. Audience, if you guys learned something from today's show like I did, please leave us a five-star review on the app of your choice. Make sure you're following us on social media at Best Ever. 
And I hope you all have a best ever day. Victor, thank you so much again for your time. Thank you. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.